are the Mystery History Podcast, and this is episode 90, part two of the Ken and Barbie Killers. So we are jumping into March 29th, 1992, and let's see how this ends. March 29th, 1992, Paul stalked and videotaped two sisters from his car and then followed them to their, their parents' house. The sisters noticed that they were being stalked and wrote down his license plate number. On March 31st, one of the sisters reported the incident to NP, or I'm sorry, NRP, not NPR. That's different. Mm, yeah. NPR, <laughs> they can't do anything about that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it says that they incorrectly wrote it down. Correct. So April 18th, 1992, Paul went out to buy dinner and run a movie when one of the sisters from March 29th recognized him and attempted to track him back to his house. She lost him, but was able to get a better description and the correct license plate number. Her information was mishandled by the police and nothing came from the report. Of course it did. As it do. Every time. <laughs> yeah <laughs> every time how does this happen I don't so know. often and it's really scary to think about in the scope of things like you hope it's just like a one-off situation maybe a handful of times but think about all the times that we don't even know about that it's happening that mm-hmm. this mishandling of information and like this girl could have gotten caught by him and yeah. raped I mean she was a hero brave yeah. yeah she was very brave and then also I would just like to say everything that happens from here on out is the police's fault could could have been not happening Mm -hmm. i mean and you can go all the way back to when people were saying hey he looks like this composite but that okay maybe not but this yeah that's his car yeah and he was stalking her so somebody should have followed up on that all right so april 16th 1992 uh paul and carla were driving through saint Catharines during after school hours looking for a victim The streets were mainly empty, but they saw Kristen French, who was 15, walking home. They pulled into the parking lot of Grace Lutheran Church, and Carla got out with a map in her hand, pretending to need directions. When Kristen was looking at the map, Paul attacked her from behind and forced her by knife point into the front seat of the car. From the back seat, Carla pulled Kristen's hair to keep her still. And whenever you're going after school hours, like, you know what you're looking for. Children. A child. Yeah. Yeah. Kristen was a very dependable kid. And generally she took about 15 minutes to get home from school and then she would take care of her dog. So soon after she should have arrived, Kristen's parents knew right away that something was wrong. Within 24 hours, Niagara Regional Police Service, that NPR, NRP, Damn it. <laughs> I want to say NPR so bad, but it's not. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> if I say NPR, I mean NRP. NRP. Okay. <laughs> they assembled a team and searched for French and found several witnesses who had actually seen the abduction from different locations. Kristen's shoe was found in the parking lot. So that's really, that's something, it doesn't feel like a lot of the times we give kudos to police, but. 
typically they you have got to wait a long time before mm-hmm. they will be a missing person. So that was good on you. Quick. Yeah. yeah quick. And they had witnesses and mm-hmm. a shoe, things that they probably would not have had if they would have waited, you know. Yep. Over Easter weekend, Paul and Carla videotaped themselves torturing, raping, and sodomizing um, her while forcing her to drink large amounts of alcohol and submit herself to Paul. The following day, Paul and Carla murdered Kristen before going over to the Homolka family home to have Easter dinner. Like, just no, no big deal. How do you do that? you almost have to have different compartments in your body that you can shove things like, or they just are so sadistic that they don't even care. Like they They're... must not have empathy at all in their body. No. And just, I don't know. That doesn't make any, any sense to me. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That's crazy. Carla said that Paul, this is during the um, the court, but Carla said that Paul strangled her for seven minutes while she watched. But Paul said that Carla struck her with a rubber mallet because she tried to escape and that she was strangled with a noose around her neck, which secured her to a hope chest um, when Carla went to fix her hair. So she tried to escape and that's what happened. Kristen's nude body was found on April 30th, 1992 in a ditch in Burlington, which was about 45 minutes from St. Catherine's. Her body had been washed and her hair was cut off. It was thought that the hair was kept as a souvenir, but Carla testified that it was cut to stop identification. It is thought that the plan had always been for the two to kill Kristen as they did not blindfold her to prevent their identification. And that whole cutting off her hair. Does she not have fingerprints? No. Like, hello. Yeah. And a face. Yeah. That I mean, makes no sense. <laughs> that makes no sense. You're dumb, Carla. Carla and Paul were interviewed several times by police for uh, several different reasons. They were questioned during the Scarborough rapist investigation and after Tammy's death, and then on Paul's stalking of women. An officer filed a report on May 12, 1992, and Paul was briefly interviewed again. Officers decided he was an unlikely suspect, although Paul admitted to being questioned several times for the Scarborough rapes, which doesn't make a damn any damn sense. Why was he an unlikely suspect? Yeah, that doesn't like what? <laughs> right? Why? Why? Like why? It didn't tell me that, that sounds like it makes you a likely suspect, right? Usually, you were people that are questioned- unlikely are likely. <laughs> You were questioned several times for an unsolved rape <laughs> case. Um, yeah, it wasn't you. This guy was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, like 15 Lots of times. times. It is no. a fluke. Three days later, the Green Ribbon Task Force was created to investigate the murders of Mahaffey and French. So... December 1992, the Center of Forensic Sciences began testing DNA samples provided two years earlier by Paul. All of this. Um, Yeah, this. December 27th, 1992, Carla had been badly beaten by Paul with a flashlight on her limbs, head, and face. Normally, I would say that nobody deserves to be beaten with a flashlight, but they both do. Chick definitely deserves to be beaten with a flashlight. Yes. 
January 4th, 1993, Carla returned to work with those bruises and claimed that she was in a car accident. Her coworkers were skeptical and called her parents, who actually went to the house and physically removed her on January 5th. Carla ran back into the house searching for something. She wouldn't tell her parents what it was, but her parents removed her again from the house and took her to St. Catherine's General Hospital, where she gave a statement to NRP. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That she was a battered spouse. She filed charges against Paul, who was arrested and later released on his own recognizance. A friend found a suicide note written by Paul and intervened in him killing himself, unfortunately. Carla went to live with relatives in Brampton. 26 months after Paul had submitted a DNA sample, the Toronto police were informed that it matched that of the Scarborough rapist and placed him under a 24-hour video surveillance. 26 months. That. uh, I mean. What? What a terrible misstep. Again. Do you remember, though, in that, um, in the documentary, they say, like, it was terrible, but that was the turnaround time. They had one DNA person doing all of it, and that's just how long it took. Well, and I'm sure that there was a lot of suspects for the Scarborough rapist. Yeah. And, and this was like, this DNA stuff was like new. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't, they couldn't afford and didn't have a lot of people that could do it. So that's just how long it took, Mm -hmm. but he willingly gave a DNA sample and they had DNA to butt it up against. So if they would have just done it right then and there, none of this would have happened. I mean, some of it may have happened with Carla, but you know. Right. But I don't know why he would have even like willingly submitted that DNA sample unless he was like so sure that he was like. They weren't, they weren't going to catch him. Yeah. Or like that he didn't leave any DNA, even though he raped all these people. Like, come on. Come on. I don't know. February 9th, uh, 1993. Metro Toronto sexual assault squad investigators interviewed Carla. They told her of their suspicions of Paul, but she didn't want to talk about him. She wanted to talk about the abuse that he had done to her. Later that night, she actually told her aunt and her uncle that Paul was the Scarborough rapist and that both herself and Paul were involved in the rape and murder of McAfee and French and that the rapes were recorded on videotape. (sighs) NRP reopened its investigation of Tammy Homolka's death. Two days later, Carla met with Niagara Falls lawyer George Walker, who sought legal immunity from Crown Prosecutor Hulan in exchange for her cooperation. She was placed under 24-hour surveillance. Oh, yeah, she'd want a immunity. Mm -hmm. Hell, yeah, she would. Of course, she would. The couple's name was actually approved Their to be changed. changed. Yeah. Yeah. On February 13th, 1993. On February 14th, Walker met with Crown Criminal Law Officer, Office Director, excuse me, Murray Siegel. Walker told Siegel that the rapes were videotaped and he advised him due to Carla's involvement, full, full immunity was impossible. So they knew yeah. that these tapes existed. 
they didn't have them at that exact time. Mm-hmm. February 17th, Metro Sexual Assault Squad and Green Ribbon Task Force detectives arrested Paul on several charges and obtained a search warrant. The evidence involving him and the murders were minimal, so the warrant was limited. No evidence, which was not expected and documented in the warrant, could be removed from the premises. All videotapes police found had to be viewed in the house. Damage had to be kept to a minimum, meaning police could not tear down walls looking for videotapes. The search of the house lasted 71 days, and the only tape found by police was a brief snip of Carla performing oral sex on Jane Doe. That's crazy. 71 days. Yeah. So, um, and I don't think I have this in the notes, but during this time, whenever the police were searching and they had to be like super careful about everything, they only found that one videotape, but the tapes were found. Six tapes were found, um, and they were found by Paul Bernardo's lawyers. So they had gone and they had found them. I believe it was up in a like the rafter of something like an air shaft. It was in like an air vent thing pretty far back. Was it Paul's lawyers or her lawyers? It was Paul's lawyers. So yeah. So just keep that in your mind. Um, May 5th, Walker was informed that the government was offering Carla a plea bargain of 12 years, which she had one week to accept. If she declined it, the government was going to charge her with two counts of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree murder, and other crimes. Walker accepted the offer for Carla without letting her agree to it, and then later Carla was like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Probably a good idea. I mean, it's messed up, but in her best interest for not being in prison. Yeah, that was her best. Hmm. May 14th, Carla's plea bargain was finalized and she began giving statements to police and investigators. She told police that Paul boasted about him raping as many as 30 women, which was twice as many as the police suspected him, calling him the happy rapist. I almost said racist. He might have been racist too. We don't know, but who knows? Probably because he's a real dick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on May 18th, 1993, Carla was arraigned on two counts of manslaughter. June 5th, the Crown applied a publication ban. So this was like super crazy. So uh, to protect Paul's right to a fair trial. Carla supported the ban, but Paul's lawyers argued that he would be prejudiced by the fact that Carla portrayed herself as a victim anyway. So at this, by this point, those tapes had been found. Right. So nobody, like nobody wanted anything to be published. It was super like, and we'll talk about how like locked down this shit was. And I've never heard of it, of such a thing. Mm-mm. Um, February 1994, Carla divorced Paul. Huh. So, hmm. while the ban was only in effect in Ontario, Canada, it left the American side to publish details of Carla's testimony. Newspapers in Buffalo, Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York City, and the U.K. published stories in newspapers as well as radio and TV stations along the Canadian-U.S. border reporting details from Carla's trial. A TV program, A Current Affair, aired two programs on the crime. 
Canadians brought copies of the Buffalo News across the border, and the NRP sent orders to arrest all of those who had more than one copy of the paper and confiscate the additional copies. The New York Times were turned back at the border and were not accepted by any of their distributors in Canada. They were dubbed the Ken and Barbie killers. Isn't that nuts? I've never heard of such a thing. No, I, I mean, I don't think I have either, but, but, you know, they're kind of right that if that, any of that information leaked out into the newspapers, he, there's no way he could have a fair trial because everybody would have heard about this. Mm -hmm. Everybody. Does he deserve it though? Like really? I mean, whatever. Doesn't everybody deserve a fair trial? It's called the justice system, Allison. I know. And it fucks us daily. (laughs) (laughs) It really does. Uh, June 28th, 1993, Carla was tried, but because of the publication ban, there were limited details released to the public. In 1995, so this was a couple years later, Paul was tried for the murders of French and Mahaffey, and his trial included testimony from Carla and the videotapes of the rapes. Paul testified that the deaths were accidental, but then later claimed that his wife was the actual killer. And I'll tell you what, like on the documentary, do you remember how like they, the jury had to watch those tapes and how Mm -hmm. still messed up they are from what they saw on those tapes? Like you can't unsee Yeah. I mean, they were talking about like being suicidal mm -hmm. and not being able to like eat and being super depressed. Oh, one of the ladies said that she couldn't have sex with her husband for a long time, like had to go to counseling and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, those tapes were super, super messed up. Yep. Um, so Carla testified, am I starting at the wrong place? Uh -uh. Okay, good. Carla testified against Paul at his murder trial, according to her plea bargain. The plea bargain was criticized by many Canadians as Paul's first defense lawyer, Ken Murray, withheld the videotapes for 17 months. Those tapes were considered crucial evidence, and prosecutors said they would never have agreed to a plea bargain if they had seen the tapes. Murray was acquitted of obstruction of justice for his concealment of the tapes. He said he wanted to conceal the tapes to impeach Carla on the stand during Paul's trial. So basically, Carla got a plea deal that she never should have gotten because there was already crucial evidence showing that she was, in fact, uh, supremely guilty of more than they thought when they offered this plea plea deal to her. Well, and I think that whenever she ran back into the house, she was hiding those tapes and she did not think they were going to find them. Ah, yeah. I think that that's why she went the way she did, because she's like, they're not going to find them. Nobody's going to know. It's my word against his and I'll be fine. Can you imagine hiding something in your house and then police being in there for over two months I would no. be like, they for sure found yeah, me. I I'm have dead. no hiding spots right. good enough but, <laughs> for that. But really, though, with the fact that they couldn't knock down walls and, like, trash the place and really go through everything with a fine-tooth comb, there mm-hmm. could have been, they might not have found them. Yeah. And it wasn't even no. them. It was the, the lawyers. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the police. Yeah, the so, lawyers found it. But didn't they have, like, a tip? They did have a tip. Yeah. Yeah, but 
Yeah. So crazy, crazy stuff. (laughs) Yeah, it is insane. Paul was kept in segregation at Kingston Penitentiary for his own safety, but he was still attacked and harassed. He was punched in the face by another inmate when he returned from a shower in 1996. In June 1999, five convicts tried to storm his segregation unit and a riot squad used gas to disperse them. Could you imagine being behind a door and seeing all these people trying to get in? That would be I don't terrifying. feel bad for him, but I would Me be either. scared. <laughs> Me neither. But well, and because he's pretty much a, a child molester and a child killer. And you he know how they feel about is that. Not, yeah, he's not pretty much. He is. Yeah. Yeah. No. Nope. They don't like that. No. Nobody likes that. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Also in 1995, Carla was sent to Kingston Prison for Women. Dorothy, Carla's mother, had annual breakdowns between Thanksgiving and Christmas that were so bad she had to be hospitalized, sometimes for months at a time. Man, I mean, I would too. What do you do? What do you do? I have no idea. Losing a child would be one thing, but losing your child to your other child in such a disgusting, terrible, like loathsome manner. I don't even know how you could like counselor your way out of that shit well and there would probably be heavy blame that you would place on yourself because it happened in your house yeah um, i mean yeah right under your nose literally like just mm-hmm. like while at kingston carla took courses in sociology through queen's university carla was required to pay all fees as well as personal needs carla later later graduated from queen's with a bachelor's degree in psychology bullshit what the hell you know my mom always said that the people that study psychology are crazy Crazy. people (laughs) i get it oh um the summer of 1997 carla was moved from kingston to joliet institution which was a medium security prison And in 1999, Toronto Star reporter Michelle Shepard received copies of her application to transfer to Mason Therese Casgrain, which was run by the Elizabeth Fry Society and published a story showing the halfway house close uh, proximity to schools in the area. Carla sued the government after her transfer to the halfway house was denied. For what? Because she, what, what, Carl, why did Carla sue? You, yeah, on what grounds? You are a child molester lady. You don't get to go live in a halfway house by a school while you're still technically supposed to be in prison based on your sentence. Yeah. Give me a whole break, woman. Yep. (laughs) She is insane. She had no injustice done to her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This, I guarantee you, she's one of those people. That's one of those, like, nothing is her fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing is her fault. Kind and of people. how dare you not let me go somewhere. Bitch. Right. Ugh. be going nowhere. Get out of here. 2001, Carla is transferred to Stiane de Plains Institution, which is a maximum security prison in Quebec. December 2001, Canadian authorities determined there was no future use of the videotapes of Carla and Paul's. The six videotapes depicting torture and rape of the victims were destroyed. The disposition of Carla watching and commenting on the tapes remains sealed. I would love to watch that shit, how she talked her way out of that. 
like just not like the vi- the video but oh like, they of like her, of her watching the videos yeah, and, and saying yeah. like that he made me do it yeah right you bitch you did it on I mean, yourself even like in the documentary you watch her walking through the house during the time while the police were there and she's like oh um can I take this book and uh, I see like this furniture is missing it's not broken is it mm-hmm. like you think what you're gonna is get wrong help? with your broken brain girl yeah. like I just uh yeah there I I don't know there's yeah. something real wrong with her yep in 2004 Carla applied for parole which was two th- thirds of the way through her sentence, but was denied, uh, stating she had made some steps in the right direction, but she still remained a risk to society and she could possibly commit another violent crime. In 2005, during Carla's release hearing, Louis Morset, psychiatrist, said she did not present a threat to society. However, there was um, opposing opinions saying that Carla is very attracted to his world of sexual psychopaths. It's not for nothing that she did what she did with Paul. So Uh basically she could hundred percent do this again if she ran into the wrong guy. Yep. February 21st, 2006, the Toronto star reported that Paul admitted to sexually assaulting at least another 10 women in attacks not previously put on him. Most were in 1986, a year before the Scarborough rapists even existed. Authorities suspected Bernardo and other crimes, including a string of rapes in Amherst, New York, and the drowning of Terry Anderson and St. Catharines, but he never admitted his involvement in that. Which at that point, like, why not? He's never getting out. Yeah. So I feel like if he, I don't know. I don't know would be to help the victims move on especially for mm-hmm. if that person died terry anderson well drowning typically means that they died so i think that she did you know, why do i think <laughs> this way drowning i'm like oh, no. oh, some water in my mouth <laughs> that's drowned. not that's not how <laughs> drowning works nope <laughs> If you say a hamster was killed, that means <laughs> it's alive. dead. He's alive if somebody was well. drowned, they are no longer with us either. Met another um, hamster lady and they had children. It's great. Right. But two, like the string of rapes in Amherst. I mean, can you imagine being a rape victim and not knowing if your rapist is still out there? Like the peace of mind that it would give you to know that that person was behind bars. Yeah. Um, so that would, I mean, that would be significant for him to admit to as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, June, 2005, a two day hearing was held and they ruled that Carla would still pose a risk to the public at large. As a result, using section 810.2 of criminal code, certain restrictions were placed on, um, Carla as a condition of her release, which was scheduled for July 4th, 2005. Um, so the things that were imposed upon her are one, she was to tell police her home address, work address, and with whom she lives. She was required to notify police as soon as any of the above changed. She was likewise required to notify police of any change to her name. If she planned to be away from her home for more than 48 hours, she had to give 72 hours notice. 
She could not contact Paul Bernardo, the families of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French, or that of the woman known as Jane Doe or any violent criminals. She was forbidden to be with people under the age of 16. She was forbidden from consuming drugs other than prescription medicine. She was required to continue therapy and counseling, and she was required to provide police with a DNA sample. If she violated any of these orders, she would receive a maximum of two-year imprisonment. Good. After, yeah. I mean, this is okay. Yeah. I I guess. (laughs) I mean, I don't like it. But after the hearing, Carla started receiving death threats at Juliet Institution and was transferred to Stan Plains prison. So that's why she was moved. In July, uh, July 4th, 2005, Carla was released from prison. She granted her first interview to Radio Canada Television and spoke entirely in French. She told the interviewer, Joyce Napier, that she chose her show because she found it less sensationalist than the English media. She said she also found Quebec more accepting of her than Ontario and affirmed she would be living within the province but would not say where. She said that she had paid her debt to society legally but not emotionally or socially. She still blamed Paul and considered herself a victim, which means she doesn't learned nothing, right. did not accept and deal no. with any of her broken brain stuff. No, she said that she was 17 years old and a kid when she met him and lacked knowledge and confidence and had fear of being abandoned. She refused to speak about any alleged relationship that she did or did not have with Jean Paul Gerbert, who was a convicted murderer <laughs> serving life as to Anne's de Plains. So I guess when she was in there, she saw this dude like, hey, uh, I feel I, like he isn't that a somebody. girl? Jean Paul. How do you meet you make, a guy? You make a, eyes across the thing. Little they leaky. didn't do they house men and women in the same prisons? No. I don't know. Yeah. Where? In the world. I don't Not know. Not in the United States. Okay. Let's search Jean Paul yeah. Gerbert. It's not Gerbert either. It's Gerbet. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a second R in that name. Uh, so whilst Googling, make sure that you Google the correct name. It's Gerbert. Okay. It's Gerbert. Um, it's a dude. Yeah, it's a dude. They probably made winky eyes across the yard. You know how it is in prison. No, I do not. I have never been to prison. <laughs> like, hey, hey, sexy lady. Oh my Your goodness. Mighty bright today. Yeah. That is creeps. People date each other all the time in the clink. I'm going to read more about this because I would like to know how they um, got into an alleged relationship. Maybe well, they just wrote each other. Like maybe they're just writing could, yeah. letters to each other. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure most places keep men and women away from each other in prison. Well, yeah. Could it's you not like imagine? They could go, yeah. It's not like they could. <laughs> yeah. They might have been in a separate. It might have been on the same Thing, grounds but separate a different building yeah i mean it's not like they were shacking up with each other okay. no gerbert wasn't getting it in with her that's for sure well, yeah anyway he was convicted Moving on. 
He was a guy. She has terrible. She has terrible taste in men. Let's yeah. just say that <laughs> she just loves to date murderers. Um, <laughs> anyway, her solicit- solicitor Sylvie, which I love that name, Bordialis, and her mother. Her mother was present for the interview, so her mother is still talking to her. Which I don't know. Hundred percent. Heck to the no. Yeah, I don't. I. I I don't know how that feels. I don't know what you, I don't know what the right thing to do is there. I, I would kill her. Uh, I don't, that's tough, man. That's tough. I don't know how tough that is. If your that bad would... seed killed your good seed, you kill the bad seed. Is that how it goes? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> feels like it right now. I just feel it's like late I... and I'm tired. But that's not okay. No, that no. Her poor mother. Just that's so. Can sad. you imagine seeing your child for the first time? After- well, I really, I really like in the documentary. I really think that her parents probably to protect their own like mind had to make themselves believe that the reason why their baby did this is because Paul. I really yeah. think that they had to force themselves to believe that this is why this terrible thing happened. And that is how that's the closure that they need to be able to continue on and see their other daughter. I mean, that would be the only way. Do you think, I mean, surely her parents did not see those videotapes, right? If Tammy was murdered, I mean, I'm sure that they were in there. If they saw those murder tapes though, I don't know how you ever look at that person again, whether they're your child or not. I because even though it doesn't like show the murders, it showed her sexually assaulting her sister. That was right. in the videotapes. Yeah. So I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. I <laughs> Ugh. bless uh-uh. their hearts. That's all I've got to no, say. No wonder her mother has to spend months mm-hmm. in the hospital yeah. over that season. Like, I don't I just, know if I could make it and be alive. Like, I really, I don't know. I don't either. That would be very difficult. She has other, she has another kid though. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that helps you. But then wouldn't you be like super nervous? Like which one's this kid? Is she the good one or the bad one? I don't know. know. November, 2005, the superior court judge granted Carla a reprieve by the ruling that she posed a risk to the community and removed the restrictions that were put on her prior to her release. So like five minutes later, they were like, "Never mind, go live free. You're fine. Yeah. Yeah. How is she not on a registry? Like how? I don't know. He was a child sex offender. To the most extent degree that you can be. It just doesn't. I can't. In 2006, Paul gave a prison interview suggesting he had reformed and would make a good parole candidate. LOL, Paul. LOL. You ain't going to. He became. (laughs) No. I mean, I hope not. I don't know. After all this business (laughs) with Carla, just throw him on the street. (laughs) He became eligible to petition the jury to be allowed to apply for early parole in 2008 under the faint hope clause, but did not do so. In 2008, Carla wrote a letter of apology to her family, which it took her a really fucking long time. She gave that interview with her mom in 2005. Um, She continued to blame Paul 
and said that he wanted me to get sleeping pills from work, threatened me and physically and emotionally abused me when I refused. I tried so hard to save her. You dumb bitch. You did not. If you tried to save her, she would be alive. If you tried to save her at all, she would be alive. Yeah. A little bit. And you shouldn't Mm. have even had to try to save her. You should have just not ever had to have been saved. No. This is, I mean, it's bananas. I'm so angry. In (laughs) September. I know. I can can hear it in your voice. You're like, I think you've cussed an awful lot. Sorry, folks. (laughs) More than usual. Sorry. I mean, it's it's like relevant to the situation. This is just insane. Uh, In September 2013, Paul was moved from Kinston Penitentiary to Mill Haven Institution in Bath, Ontario, where he's still segregated from other inmates. There's no killing. 2015, Paul became eligible and applied for day parole in Toronto. According to the victim's lawyer, Tim Danson, Paul will likely never be released. Yeah. What is day parole? So that's just like means, to go out for a day and, yeah. and hang out. Yeah. Like you have to, you can go out during the day, but then you have a certain time you have to report back to be locked up and everything like that. So you'd well, still be out in the world, possibly raping people. Yeah. You can rape people during the day. Yeah. So no. Yeah. <laughs> October 2018, Bernardo had been set to go to trial for possession of a shank while incarcerated. It was a five centimeter long screw attached to a pen, but the prosecution dropped the charges due to their determination that there was no probable, reasonable, probable conviction. I'm going to tell you, that's probably the smartest thing Paul did because people want to kill him. (laughs) I would have one too. I too would want to shank. Yeah. <laughs> October 17th, 2018, he was denied parole by the Parole Board of Canada. June 22nd, 2021, so which is, is recent ish. Yep. He had another parole hearing, and after one hour of deliberation, the judge denied it. Carla now lives in Quebec with her husband, Thierry Bordelais, and has three children. And I'm sure she's a great mother. Sure. <laughs> I bet our kids could have sleepovers at her house. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> she has changed her name to Leanne Teal, but we all know it's you, Carla. But wait a second. Can we just say what? this right now? So Teal was the name that her oh, yeah. and Paul changed Paul. their name to. So why would you still change your name to Leanne Teal? Why wouldn't you have taken your husband's name? Like, I feel like she's still connected to Paul. Like, that's creepy as hell. That is weird. Her husband is her former lawyer's brother, and they were married shortly after her release. By removing the restrictions that were originally imposed on her, it allowed Carla to move around Canada without notifying authorities. She tried to stay out of the public eye, but they found her and found out that she had occasionally volunteered at her kid's school and angry parents forced the school to end that arrangement immediately. Carla tried to seek protection from the media, but the council rejected that attempt and said that the public has the right to be informed if she is new to the area. Oh yeah, they do. 5,000% agree. Could you imagine like if one of your kids was, uh, and then you found this out? Mm-mm. I would nope. have a pitchfork and a freaking 
a torch and go beat her Mm -hmm. door down. Yeah. Can, cause two, if you think about this, so she has these three children, she was living in this place and volunteering at the school. And like I said, jokingly, like our kids can spend the night at your house. Oh yeah, She could have had kids spending the night at her freaking house and what because kind of- people didn't know it was her. And okay. So her husband is the brother of her lawyer who knows everything intimate details yeah yeah all the tapes i'm sure and like hey bro and was like that's hot yeah this whole thing is mind-blowing i can't i know i really can't like while i was watching the documentary too like i i think i paused it multiple times and like texted you like what the heck and you're like just wait just wait just wait (laughs) it's just gets worse and worse and worse i can't it is a dumpster fire through and through continually this, burning. Right. And so this woman's just like out there living with her kids and her husband mm-hmm. and she's obviously a psychopath. Oh yeah. Luckily Forever. we do have the media though, that is apparently doing their very best to stay on her and oust her to the public since the, the, I don't know, country of Canada decided that that wasn't necessary like thank goodness we have laws here that you have to report if you are a child if you've done is it any sexual crime right yeah I mean like yeah you could be 17 sex offenders registry yeah yeah I mean Mm -hmm. it's pretty hardcore it is pretty hardcore and I've heard of instances where it like hurts the person more than but you know what we do our best and there's like a small percentage of that kind of situation going on. And so at least like everybody's able to look on the internet and see exactly where these registered sex felons are. Yeah. And no, because they're in your neighborhood, they're next door, they're wherever. And if we didn't have that, you wouldn't know. Same with the situation. Well, and these are people like on the sex offender registry. Those are people that might not have gone to prison for 12 years. Like they could have just gotten out on parole and be out in the world but they still have to register and let people know where they live she was in freaking jail for 12 years and like okay she's gone should have done her time no should have been in jail for way longer yeah for the rest of her life yeah and then how Mm -hmm. screwed up like if you were her child and they have the internet or like this documentary hey Hey guys, let's watch something SpongeBob on Hulu. Oh, who's that? That's my mom. Why is she on? Oh, let's watch this. Oh my God. Like they're ruined. Yeah. Ruined. How dare you have children? Right. She should have been sterilized. 100%. Wow. Yeah. It's well, here we are at the end of all that. Everyone let that sink in that this happened, but we're super pissed about it yeah still <gasps> we should write hate letters <laughs> she's alive and we can she's do alive this time <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna write a letter there we go and say what a piece we, of crap you are we write love letters and we write hate letters we do. she's getting a hate letter <laughs> <laughs> okay well let me cite my sources because there was a lot of them um wiki.com infamous people the famous people, uh, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka.weebly.com, ranker.com, uh, caresable.com, archive.mcleans.ca, and then the Ken and Barbie Killers on Hulu. 
brilliant. Is what I used. So, wow. Wow. How do you feel? How do y'all feel? Because I am mentally tired. You want to write hate letters with us? Yeah. Well, yeah. We could get mm. like a justice going. Mm-hmm. There we go. We need a cool name because the Justice League's taken. It's taken. <laughs> Damn it. Would have been wait. a good one. Would have been. Would have been. <laughs> What's our coalition going to be called? And uh, who wants to be writing letters with us? Because right. we're ready. Let's do it. All right. Well, we hope you guys maybe not enjoyed, but are angry with us in this episode 89 on Ken and Barbie. And are aware. And yeah. And never, never trust anyone. Anyone ever, period. With your children. Mm-mm. Ever. Mm-mm. Nope. Never. Okay. Yep. Well, that's that. That's <laughs> that. I <gonna> say. <laughs> Hope you enjoy. End it. Just end it. Okay. <laughs> we love you all. We hope you have a fantastic week, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.